hello everyone and welcome back to the Leaving Churchianity podcast. And last time we talked about this movement that's racing across Christianity these days called deconstruction or deconstructionism, which has millions of people stopping and calling into question all of the major parts of the Christian religion that we've inherited, being persuaded that it's all based on myths and exaggerations and ultimately many of them turning their backs on the God of Christianity or the God of the Bible. And although they're calling it deconstruction, it's really just deconversion much of the time. Not all of the time, but much of the time. And I, I wonder what you think about that and what you have seen in your experience. Why do you think this is happening? And why is it happening now? Do you think? Because this is this is relatively recent, predominantly in the last five years, really, five to ten years. So where did this movement come from, and why is it claiming so many victims? I pointed out how it's not just teenagers being led away from God because of some really well formulated arguments, you know, from intellectual people like science teachers, uh, philosophy teachers are the predominant ones that are adding to this, but it's penetrating all the way to the top of the ranks of Christianity. Many Christian leaders are falling victim to this from mainstream Christian leaders, mainstream worship leaders, band members, very popular Christian bands who spent years and decades traveling around singing about how good and powerful God is, how incredible only to get to the place where they completely deny him and walk away. And even a number of supposed Christian pastors having fallen victim to this line of reasoning. And they've left the faith completely as well, claiming, well, they they no longer believe in God. The same as a lot of these Christian artists. Well, they no longer believe in God. Well, the big question is why? Because the faith is such a core thing interwoven into a person's will and emotions and into our our reasoning abilities how can it unravel so quickly and so easily well it's it's obviously a battle that is lost on a spiritual plane people are getting reasoned out of their beliefs reasoned right out of them well is that a good thing or is it a bad thing like seriously is that good or bad? We should be able to look at this logically and honestly if we do, in fact, care about the truth. Now, I would argue there are many reasons why someone would deconstruct from the Christian faith. Many catalysts, but I think at the core, the reason is because there are so many false disciples. I think that is the core reason why it's happening, whether they know it or not. Their faith is not mature. It's not solid. It simply cannot handle the tests of trials that we go through, the interrogation that we encounter, or Satan's false arguments that are out there. And a lot of them are really good. They sound really good, and they're very convincing. Think about it. If God is real, then his book is true when it says that there is an enemy who comes against people of faith, and he comes against them with arguments, perverted reasonings that are meant to change a person's beliefs and behavior. I mean, the Bible says this. 
As the Bible says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places in this world. And we have to put on the spiritual armor of God if we're going to be able to successfully stand against the schemes of the devil. That's what the Bible foretells us to do, which is why we should all be talking about these things regularly and not be afraid of people scrutinizing or testing our faith because it's a purifying thing. Hey, if it's, if it really is truth, then it will be able to, to handle any test that's thrown at it, right? If it's truth, there's no reason to fear the truth. So I don't fear it. I don't fear cross-examination because I've studied this out so much that I know it to be true based on facts and evidence. And the more people examine it, it proves its validity. The more trustworthy it is revealed to be, right? I mean, it's just common sense. And the less persuasive the devil's arguments are seen to be. So my opinion is, hey, let's talk about these things more. Let's get more of the truth out there. But the problem is that there's a lot of people trying to poke holes in the message of the Bible and not enough honest answers being brought forward. So, yeah, obviously, when arguments get thrown out there and people don't know the answers, it's obviously going to take, it's going to shake a lot of people's faith. Okay, that's obvious. Hence, one of the main reasons for this podcast is to help people through that, that necessary evaluation of the Bible's message and to help show everyone that, yes, this book we call the Holy Bible, it really is true. It really is reliable, and it has been proven accurate thousands of times over by history what we find in it, archaeology, facts, evidence in the physical world around us, we find these things that just continue to support the claims that the scripture says, even down to the smallest details of, of kingdoms and people and th little things that happen. And it's proven true over and over again, just using simple logic. The story found on the pages of this book that we call the Bible is the story of the history of this world that we find ourselves in. And over the next couple months, we're going to dive into some of the major questions that are being asked and that are shaking people's faith. And we're going to look at a lot of the evidences around us and reason our way through many of these to see if the Bible does indeed stand the test of scrutiny. Obviously, we only have one chance at this thing called life. And when it comes to the purpose and how to navigate through it and what happens after we die, we don't want to get that wrong. I don't want to get that wrong. That's of paramount importance. And there are so many religions and ideas and philosophies out there. How do we know for sure that this, this holy book and this message that we hold in our hands, how do we know that it really is the right one? I mean, if there was ever an honest, worthwhile question, I would think that's it. Well, next episode, we're going to take a comparative look at all the major religions out there, and we'll see that they all make conflicting claims, and they push conflicting messages. So obviously, I mean, if you use logic, they cannot all be right. 
If anything, only one can be right. Either one is right or none are right. That's the only logical conclusion we can come to. But for now, is, is deconstructionism right or wrong? Is it good or bad? It's being shunned by the church a lot. But I think that's fear of having their beliefs called into question. Well, if it's the truth, why are you, why are you afraid of it? You should be welcoming this. If you're deconstructing a false religion, well, then of course that's a good thing, right? Because who wants to go their entire life believing a lie? If it's not true, you need to find out the sooner the better, right? By operating on the belief that the Bible is true and the message of the God of the Bible is true, then we really want to make sure that we understand the message correctly. The message of how do we inherit eternal life is of prime importance. It's the most important thing that there is. And it's not something to be taken lightly or to be taken for granted. Most people don't realize that under the umbrella of today's, quote, Christianity, there are over 45,000 different denominations registered worldwide. Not 45,000 churches. No, 45,000 different denominations that are registered worldwide. Some say as high as 55,000, to be honest with you. It depends on which poll you read. If you want to research that, Google Center for the Study of Global Christianity, they have it listed at between 45,000 and 55,000 denominations right now. Regardless of the exact number, it's ridiculously high level of division in a religion that preaches the necessity of unity in their beliefs. So what's a denomination? Like, for example, Baptists or Catholics or Lutherans or Pentecostals or Episcopals, Methodists, Wesleyans, Quakers, you know, Seventh-day Adventists, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. It's a subgroup of Christianity. It's a subgroup that operates under its own rules. And most importantly, it has its own theological dogmas or doctrines or beliefs. And they differ from one another. See, they don't all believe the same things. And that's why this is so important. In the last 2,000 years, mankind has created over 45,000 different subdivisions or little religions based on the Bible, but varying quite greatly in their interpretations. Do you see how the devil has been at work sowing confusion in the field of humanity? Constantly distorting the message little by little. Remember, the best lie is the one that's closest to the truth. And he's been at work doing this little by little, one degree at a time, changing the beliefs, creating a church diverse culture, convincing the multitudes that, well, you know, don't worry. We all believe the same thing. We just practice it differently. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. Not if you really look into it and you look at what actually matters. I'm not talking about peripheral things. I'm talking about things that actually matter. And that's what I want to help you with to help remove all of the confusion that's out there to help you see past all of that nonsense and that division and that, that disagreement and distill it all down to the basic core elements that we should all be able to agree on, quite frankly. We really should. If we use the Bible as our guide and just read it for what it says, and don't let that overwhelm you. Remember, Paul himself said in the New Testament, 
that it has to be this way. That's what he says. He warns us about it in 1 Corinthians as one example, but also says, don't worry, it's a good thing. That's what he says, which is very interesting. He says in chapter 11, I think it's uh, verse 18, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. For there must also be factions amongst you, so that those who are approved or those who are genuine or legitimate may become evident among you. And consequently, those who are illegitimate may become evident amongst you. That's verse 19. And then in verse 28, he says, let each person examine himself. Now, this is in the context of the Lord's Supper. Examine yourself regularly to see if you are right with God. For if you examine and judge yourself now, you will not be judged when the time of judgment comes upon the whole world. That's what this whole Passover thing is. It's a time of self-examination and judgment. So examining your faith and what you believe is absolutely crucial. And as you can see, it's commanded in the Bible. It's commanded to test the validity of your faith. That's why Jesus warned his disciples saying, do not let yourselves be deceived. In Matthew 23, right before he was crucified, the disciples pulled him aside and asked him, they said, hey, what will be the signs of, your, of the times and the signs of the end of the age before you come back? And he said, the first thing he said, number one, let no one deceive you by any means. For many will come in my name, not claiming to be the Messiah, but claiming that, yes, I am indeed the true Messiah, the Son of God. But using that authority, they'll go on to deceive many and lead them into lawlessness. So he told us what to look out for. He also told us exactly what gospel message will be preached. And that's how we know exactly how to test all of these different gospel messages that are floating around out there in today's Christian culture. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, test yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. Examine yourselves to see whether or not Jesus Christ is in you or if you fail the test. Now, those are Paul's words, all right? They're not mine. That's his admonition to those who claim to follow Christ. That's his admonition. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible is full of these types of admonitions. For example, you look at the book of James, okay? The book of James is a set of 13 tests that you can go through in order to help you through examining your faith to see if it's real, if it's transforming faith, or if it's, as James says, non-working, non-saving faith. Read James chapter 2 for that, starting in verse 14, going all the way through to the end. That's why he says, quote, be not self-deceived, having a faith that doesn't work or doesn't produce good fruits, but examine your faith and make sure that it works. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So examining and testing your faith is commanded over and over in the Bible, and it's necessary to deconstruct the accumulated baggage is an extremely healthy thing for you to do. Seeking to make sure, of course, the, the purity of your belief. That's the goal. 
So deconstruction can be a good thing. And I argue that it is a good thing that everyone should go through at some point in their life. If you're just refining and taking ownership of your faith, you know, rather than just living on the inherited faith from your parents, then it's a great thing. And I firmly believe everyone should go through this when they're coming of age in their spiritual life. But don't deconstruct away from God, away from the source of life, as so many are doing around us. That's the popular trend. Don't do that. But this is, this is not a new thing, for starters. Deconstruction happened many times throughout the past. It's recorded in the Bible a number of times for us to learn from as examples for us. It happened many times in Israel's history. They were very fickle and prone to leaving the faith to pursue their own fleshly, idolatrous desires. It happened in Isaiah's time in chapter 1. Isaiah 1.3, if you read that, it's a very sad commentary saying that the animals have more reasoning power than God's people at that time, who broke fellowship with him and didn't understand he was their source of all security and blessings. That passage says the ox knows its owner and the donkey knows its master's manger where it eats. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. They do not understand, he says. It happened again in Jeremiah's time. In Jeremiah 2.13, God says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring or fountain of living water, and have dug out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that could be the descriptive phrase of this generation that you and I live in putting all their efforts into building cisterns to satisfy their inner cravings for happiness, right? Their inner cravings for fulfillment and pleasure and what they deem as purpose. But what they build cannot hold any water. Millions of people today are missing the truth that is right there in front of them because they can't see past the human institution that they're currently familiar with, that they've been presented with, and that they've seen the ugliness in. They can't see past it. They can't see past the people who have given God and the Bible a bad name and turned them off to it. So they're throwing out the baby with the bathwater, and they're liable to miss the only way, the meaning to life, the only source of true happiness the only source of lasting joy, the only road into the unspeakable, valuable gift of eternal life that God has offered. And consequently, many of their lives will be ruined as they reject him and pursue their own path, chasing their own ever-changing passions, their own ever-changing desires and feelings. We see it every day. And sadly, the Messiah's words will be spoken over them when he says in Luke 19, 44, the day will come when the enemies enclose around you and distraction will come to you and to your children because you did not know the time of your visitation. Just as Israel didn't when Jesus was walking amongst them, they didn't realize that this was the time of visitation that God was speaking about. Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. 
call upon him while he is near. Now, I firmly believe that the scripture that God calls each person only a certain amount of times, and it's abundantly clear from scripture. If you go looking for it, it is abundantly clear that not everyone gets the same amount of opportunities as everyone else. For example, in in the book of Luke, Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, which are two different towns, for the mighty works which were done in you, if they had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in, in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than it's going to be with you. So you should treasure every time you feel the Holy Spirit tug at your heart, every time that you feel him convict you or pull at you to choose to live in faith towards God. It's priceless. It's the most precious experience you can have because it's a miracle. And maybe you've never thought about it that way. It really is a miracle. It's God himself overriding your natural selfish desires and pulling you to the truth. Listen to the Son of God's words in in John chapter 6, verse 29, where he said, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. See, they wanted a sign. They wanted a miracle. And he said, Well, this is the miracle. This is the work of God, that you believe in him. If you can believe, that's a miracle because you didn't generate it. And most people can't believe. But there comes a point, there comes a time you cannot find him. And there comes a time when he is not near, unfortunately. In John 6, 1 through 14, the same chapter, you have, you have a New Testament account of deconstruction happening right in front of Jesus Christ himself on the earth as he walked through the earth. Jesus just finished miraculously feeding 5,000 men, if you remember. And it's not including women and children. It could have been 15,000 or 20,000 people. And he fed them all with one boy's lunch, an incredible miracle in and of itself. Thousands of people see this miracle that he did and confess about him openly in verse 14 saying, quote, truly this is the prophet who was to come into the world, who was prophesied about way back in Deuteronomy 18. See, they recognize this is the one we have all been waiting for. The time is upon us. It's happening right now in our lifetime. What a privilege. He's here, literally walking around in front of us. What an incredible opportunity. And the crowds followed him. And many people follow Jesus because of the crowds, obviously. Well, stop and think, like, what kind of person are you? Do you value the crowd over the truth? Or do you value the truth enough to walk away from the crowd if that's indeed what needs to happen, depending on what crowd you're following. They tried to seize him and make him king. Why? Because they expected, they they wanted a political savior. They desired immediate worldly benefit. In verse 28, it says, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? You know, like do the miracles that you're doing. They wanted immediately ben, immediate benefit. They wanted supernatural powers, which is understandable. They wanted to do these miracles too, but they didn't want him. Then in verse 30, they say, what sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? 
What work will you do for us, they say. See, it's all about their satisfaction. They had no interest in Christ. They only, only themselves. That's what they were interested in. in seeing, they were interested in seeing something amazing. The one who was prophesied 1,500 years earlier stands in front of them, defying all logic, all natural law. And what do they want? They want to show. They want to be dazzled. Can you hear the pride in their statements and their self-focus? Can you see that? What sign will you do for us that we may see it and believe? What work will you do? Like they're putting him on trial, saying, jump for us, perform for us. He had just fed them all. They literally had eaten the food that he had miraculously created. An impossible task, an incredible miracle. But what does Jesus say to them? Verse 29, he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You believe in the Messiah. That is the miracle. And most people don't realize that. It's a miracle from Almighty God for you to be able to turn from your selfish, self-destructive desires that so many people struggle with and to be able to turn from your lifestyle and believe the Messiah and repent and actually follow him to actually change your direction successfully. It's a miracle. It's not something you can simply do in your own power. It takes the power of God. And then verses 17 or 15 through 21, Jesus goes from there and he walks on the water, showing his power over nature itself, walking across the sea. And many, many obviously follow because they're fascinated by this supernatural ability that he has. He shows power over hunger power over demons. He's casting demons out. He's, he's healing sicknesses. He's healing disease. He's showing his power over nature. He's showing his power over death, raised people from the dead. I mean, what more miracle do you really need? They said that they wanted manna from heaven like their forefathers got way back in when they were leaving Egypt, back in the book of Exodus. They wanted this so that they didn't have to go out and work for food. You know, they missed the whole spiritual truth that was right in front of them, trying to explain himself to them. He was the bread of life, he said. Yet his teaching was not soft enough for them. It's not what they wanted, so they rejected him. He was telling them the only way to eternal life, the only way into the kingdom of God. And what did they do? They rejected it. With all those signs, all those miracles, they still rejected it. In verse 60, it says, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard his message, said, This is a hard saying. Who can handle it? In verse 66, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So he starts out, with between 10 and 20,000 people following him and professing openly, yeah, this, this is the one. This is the Messiah that's been prophesied for the last 1,500 years. He's literally walking amongst us right now. The one who was to come and redeem us has come. And in a moment after he preaches, he's back down to 12 people. It's amazing. Thousands to tens of thousands of people, he's back down to 12. And in verse 20 or 67, he turns to the 12 disciples and said, 
are you going to go away also? And Simon answers and says to him, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Incredible revelation. And that's the takeaway is what do you want the most? You want to jump into this thing of, of deconstruction. Do you want the truth? Or do you want to find fun, intellectual, stimulating arguments, philosophical arguments that convince you, yeah, this thing's not true. You don't have to believe this. If you're looking for that, they're out there. You can find them. It doesn't mean they're true. If you'll honestly evaluate them, then it's pretty clear. They're shown to be not true every time. But if that's what you want and it tickles your ears... Well, it's there for you. But we see deconstruction happening many times throughout the scripture. And you don't hear from many of those thousands of people again, obviously. But look at what the 12 disciples did. They went on to turn the world upside down, the book of Acts says. They didn't deconstruct. They just continued to analyze and said, you're the one. That's crystal clear. In 1 Corinthians 10, talks about the Israel being led out of the wilderness and everything that they went through. It says these things happened as examples, not to them, but to us. And they've been written down for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. They were miraculously rescued from Egypt. They went through the Red Sea on dry ground, but most of them gave in to their evil craving. They they didn't make it into the promised land. They saw the ways of God. They saw a bunch of miracles, but it wasn't enough to overpower their desires for what they wanted. And it's the same as today. It's the same thing. It's happening all over again. Now, there's a strong presence out there on YouTube and TikTok and other platforms, trying to convince you that the Bible is a book of myths and encourage you to just follow your heart, follow your truth, whatever that may be. They call it as though each person can have their own truth that completely defeats the meaning of the of objective truth. If everyone's truth is different, it can't be truth. It's not truth. It may be how you feel. It may be what you want. But since when does that equal happiness? It can be proven from the Bible, from history, from archaeology, from science, from the world around us, that the Bible is absolutely true and that it's miraculous. The evidence in this world around us proves it. And if if you're willing to look at it objectively, then it will really blow your mind, quite frankly. And it makes everything so much easier and so much simpler. It's not so much a stretch of faith. Not that our faith is reliant upon all these evidences, but it is completely backed up by the world that we see around us. Way more than you realize. Let me ask you, do you care? Like, do you struggle with some of the claims of the Bible and Christianity? Do you struggle with, for instance, the story of creation or the flood or the problem of evil in this world? Do you struggle with whether or not Jesus actually existed and really did 
rise from the dead and defeat death, defeat death itself? Do you struggle with all the miracles that is claimed that he did? And starting with the next episode, we're going to jump into some of that stuff head first. And we're going to evaluate many of these things and test these matters of faith, these claims that the Bible makes against the world around us and against logic and against these other religions and look at the actual evidence and we'll see what the truth actually says. And we'll see what that actually does to your faith, what effect it has on your faith to what you think about this book we call the Bible and all the claims that it makes. If you look at it objectively, you'll see that it's not actually that hard to believe, but that the overwhelming majority of the evidence we can look at shows that the the most logical thing that you can do is fully believe the message of the Bible because it has all the evidence behind it. And if you do, the most persuasive evidence, I think, of all, is found in personal life-changing relationships. What I mean by that is, if you embrace this evidence and you embrace the message of the Bible, it brings you the most persuasive evidence, which is it transforms your life. It transforms your heart, your desires, the things that you want, the things that make you happy, the sense of joy and peace that you get inside you. All these fruits of the Spirit and the transformed life is the most confirming thing to the message for many people. And God himself will show himself to you on a daily basis. Do you know that he promises that? John 14, for example, many times over, but John 14 comes to mind. Just as God himself promises in the Bible, when he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him, and we will come and make our abode with him. Okay, it's, an, it's about an interpersonal relationship that is constantly evidenced throughout life. It, this is not an empty religion. That's why I don't like calling this a religion. It's, it's really, it's not. It's, it's a relationship with the Almighty, with God himself. So as I close up today, let me suggest something for you. One of the most obvious and irrefutable evidences out there, I'm going to leave you with, that it would either disprove completely or prove completely the validity of the Bible's message. And that's the alleged Red Sea crossing, right? That's a huge miracle. And if that happened, that would add irrefutable evidence to the existence of Almighty God, I would say. What, 4,000 years ago? If that evidence is there today, which you would think it should be, then how would that affect your faith? Well, I don't know if you realize this, but that evidence is over there right now, laying on the sea floor for anyone to see. And if you want to see some of it, just jump on YouTube and look up, well, for starters, you can look up Ron Wyatt's story. Uh, He has some video evidence, but for a high definition video evidence that just came out, I think it was... 2018, sometime around right before COVID hit. Get on YouTube and type in Kevin Fisher, Red Sea Crossing Evidence. Kevin Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R, Red Sea Crossing Evidence. You watch that video. There's a couple different videos there where they, they rent the boats. They rent all the equipment. They go down. It's high definition videos for you to watch. 
absolutely amazing. It's all right there for you. The Red Sea crossing, the, the evidence of Israel's wandering in the, dev, in the desert over there. Uh, you get to see Mount Sinai, which is still burnt to this day. The whole top half of the mountain is black. The bottom of the mountain, light brown. Top half, black, like it's burnt, just like the Bible says. And you go on there and you turn over these rocks and hey, they're light brown underneath. There's places on the Red Sea right before the water where the ground is completely melted together way down from the, the pillar of fire that came down and stayed there and blocked off Pharaoh's army, completely melted the ground. And you can see it right there. It's been tested. You can go over there. You can see it. There's nowhere else on earth that you'll find this. It's like, what do you do with that evidence? There's pillars that King Solomon had erected on either side of the Gulf of Aqaba over there that mark the entry point and the exit point from where Israel passed through the Red Sea. It's still standing there today. How do you explain that? Just look at that video and see, see what that does to your faith and your confidence in the scripture. And next episode, we'll jump straight into whether or not Jesus existed, whether or not other religions hold any water. And is Christianity really the truth? Is it the only true religion? So anyways, until next time, May God richly bless you. I hope he works in your heart through some of these things and shows you the truth. And I'll see you in the next episode.